we are back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in our uh, long discussion of unity that we've been doing for a couple months now. And uh, we've, we've camped out for a while in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the discussion about the nature of love. Because the big problem at the church in Corinth, as we've seen, is not that they didn't have the theory of church right. I mean, there were some problems there, but that wasn't the main issue. The main issue was, Paul says, they didn't understand the most excellent way. The most excellent way is that you put all the gifts, it was a very gifted church, you put all the gifts together, but you've got to have love as the uh, oil to make the, the gears work correctly. And so he has this uh, glorious chapter that is really not written for weddings, although it's a nice place to read them, but it's written for the church, for people like you and me. And we've noticed that in the middle paragraph, verses 4 to 7, there is what we've called a, a diagnostic of love. So that Paul says, this is how love functions when it's healthy, and he, in effect, wants to check us out on these different behaviors, just as uh, when you go to the doctor's office, you've got to fill out that list of things that are bothering you or have bothered you in the past, so the doctor can do a correct evaluation. And Paul, I think, says uh, to the Corinthian church, folks, uh, here's the diagnostic do some self-evaluation and see how you're doing. And, of course, we know from other parts of his letter, his, his assessment is they aren't doing very well. So we've been trying to look at that, just move through it slowly, and uh, challenging ourselves to say, how are we doing? <clears throat> so let's read uh, part of this chapter again particularly noting those verses 4 to 7. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here's the diagnostic. Love is patient. Love is kind. Two positives. Now he swings into the negatives. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And then our verse for today, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now you notice in that verse what he does from the beginning of verse 6 to the end of verse 6, is he leaves the negative 
and he flips back to the positive, which is the way he'll end that paragraph. So negatively, love does not delight in evil. He flips the coin over, and on the positive side, it rejoices with the truth. So let's just uh, spend a few minutes thinking about that coin that he flips. Love does not delight in evil. Now, what's the evil he's talking about? Is it the evil in us? Well, uh, it it could be, I I suppose. In other words, people that live in love do not delight in the practice of evil of whatever sort. But I, I don't think that's his primary intent here. I think he's saying love does not delight in evil, particularly evil that it finds in other people. I like the way Eugene uh, Peterson says it in the message. He says, love does not revel when others grovel. And the, uh, the image there speaks pretty powerfully, doesn't it? Love does not revel in the the weakness, the failure, the shame of other people. Doesn't do that. Or let's, let's say it this way. Love does not savor a bad report. Oh, by the way, did you hear? Did you hear what she said? Do you know what he did? Love does not savor a bad report, and yet we know that in us it's very easy to savor the bad report. The Old Testament The wisdom of Proverbs recognizes that very clearly. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost part. What is that? Little little cakes covered with white chocolate, I think? We might... uh, We might have some of those in another hour or so. We can hope, right? Tasty, tasty. And the words of a gossip are like that. We're attracted to them. We we like to chew them over a little bit, and they're, they're so good going down. Why is that? Well, I, I suppose it's, you know, it's partly that deep down we know that there's a mess of stuff wrong with us. And somehow it's comforting if we can rehearse somebody else's faults because that somehow feels like it, it props us up. Yeah. This verse actually shows up twice in Proverbs. 
Don't know why that is. Probably because there were different collections put together and they decided to keep it twice. Choice morsels, tasty, desirable. I was thinking about it this week. What would it be like if we could design a gossip meter for the church? You know, you know how when you go to the doctor's office now, the nurse doesn't hold your wrist to check your pulse? They just clip that little thing on your finger and just reads it right out. <clears throat> so I was thinking if we could develop a gossip meter. <clears throat> and, and when we came into church on Sunday morning, we could have it out in the foyer and, you know, Everybody just lines up and you stick your finger, it clips a little thing on there, and it reads out the, your history from the past week. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're on that, that green side. You know, you just had good conversation. Maybe it moved up to chit chat, or maybe it moved up to rumors. You know, rumors are those unsubstantiated reports that you can never quite figure out who started. But that often doesn't trouble us. We're happy to pass it on because it, <clears throat> it's a choice morsel. Or, you know, maybe the gossip meter reads that you're on fire. You've really been at it on the telephone, meeting with people, chatting. Did you hear? Did you know this? What's going on here? So so suppose, you know, you read really high. You, You read up in rumors that you've been passing on, and then we have a kind of collective culture where what you do is if you read high on the rumor score then you you need to go to the person you heard the rumor about and say, you know, I I heard this and and I don't want to pass on unsubstantiated stuff. So could we, you know, can you tell me what's true here? Because I I, want to speak the truth and I I really want to be a person of love That, I mean, I, I, I don't think we can design that meter. But boy, would that change the level of our worship, folks. Would it ever. Sometime back, I heard a rumor. Somebody passed it on to me. Can't even remember who. Somebody passed it on, and part of the rumor involved me. And so the reality is, in this situation, I knew the rumor wasn't true. So there was a name connected with the rumor. I decided to just call the person. I said, you know, I, I, I heard this, and just wanted to understand where you heard the rumor, because I'd like to, it's not true, and I'd like to track it back. <clears throat> and uh, they wouldn't tell me where they heard the rumor, 
And what was interesting, I, I thought maybe by just calling and talking about this, I thought there might be a, ooh, well, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, there might have been some pulling back or some embarrassment or something, but it was nothing. It was just like, oh, well. You know, you read science fiction, if it's a good story, you don't have to believe it's true. And it's almost like, it felt to me like the person was saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's true or not, it's a good story. Folks, there is a t- there's some gossip which is true. That doesn't make it right, but there's some which is true. But much of it is just rumor. It's like whis- it's whispered down the lane. But it's a choice morsel. It's tasty. And we do it, but it is not love. Right? Simple. Nothing hard to understand here when Paul says, love doesn't do that. That's the negative side. All right. Let's think about the positive side then. Love rejoices with the truth. You notice a little bit of a a turn there. Love does not rejoice in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. That's, Paul changes the words, a single word, rejoices together. So Eugene Peterson translates it this way, it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Again, it's not primarily the truth in us, right? But, but it's the truth flowering in other people. Flower opens afresh, a beautiful rose here. It opens fresh with life and beauty and fragrance. And we can rejoice in that beauty. Paul says, love rejoices together with the truth. That is, it rejoices together when the truth of the gospel is manifested in your life. If I love, I rejoice in seeing that truth opening in your life. When you see it in me, that causes you to rejoice if if we're living in love. We don't rejoice in evil. We rejoice together with the truth. And and even that verb, rejoicing together, see, that's, that's love drawing us toward one another. See, if I rejoice just in seeing the truth in my own life, then that easily slips into a sort of Christian narcissism where, where, you know, I'm glad for what's happening to me. But Christian love rejoices in the truth being manifested in other people's lives. Beautiful. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love shares in the joy of others. 
who experience the work of the Spirit in their own lives. When you are successful in living by the Spirit of God, then I'm to take joy in that. There's that uh, beautiful verse in 3 John where the apostle says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, you're a parent or a grandparent, and you, you get that, don't you? What greater joy is there as a parent than to see your kids mature, to begin to navigate life in a healthy, positive way. That's joy for parents. And John here is speaking as a a spiritual father about his disciples, saying no greater joy than this. There's the the heart of a pastor there, But, but not just the pastor, right? This is the heart of all those who know Jesus, who love him and therefore love the people that belong to Jesus. And this is what marks them. They rejoice together with the truth as it's manifested in other people's lives. Does not rejoice in evil. Takes no pleasure in a good report in a bad report. Takes great pleasure in good reports. So John says, to hear that my children walk in the truth, the truth of the gospel. Well, folks, uh, we're moving through. We got one more verse left. We'll look at that next week. But how are you doing on the diagnostic? Are you, uh, you say you're reasonably healthy? That, that love increasingly marks the way you relate to others? Spouse, family, the body of Christ? Or are you, uh, are you feeling kind of sickly? some point here we're, we'll, we'll have to spend a little bit more time talking about repentance again. We've, we've worked on that at different times. But I, I, think, uh, I think the diagnosis or the, or the, uh, the cure for lack of love is repentance. Turning back, saying, oh, I, I, I keep forgetting this. I need to be reminded of what love looks like. I need, to, I need to come again afresh to the Spirit of God and seek assistance and help to live out these qualities in my life. Well, today's communion, Don is going to lead us in that. And uh, in communion, we remember what the, the ultimate measure and example of love looks like. 
the love of Jesus for us. He laid down his life that we might have life. So we want to spend some time reflecting on that. Don, come and lead us, please.